Hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthcare Marketing Underground podcast for the week of September 26, 2016. This is episode 285, and I'm Chris Bevelo, EVP at Revive Health. I am joined today by two awesome guests. First, we have Vivian Schiller, who is Editor-in-Chief and Head of Media Co. at Weber Shanwick. Hi, Vivian. Hi. So happy to be here with you. And we'll get to know Vivian here a little bit more. And we have a returning guest, our own Christy Goad, Chief Marketing Officer at Revive Health. Hello again, Christy. Hello, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining us again. This is going to be an awesome, awesome podcast. We're going to talk about content, content, and media, and content, and more media, and maybe some content too. So we're going to do that because we have Vivian with us. So let me read Vivian's bio. Uh, first of all, so as I mentioned, she's the editor in chief and head of North America for Weber Shanwick's Media Co. Practice. She's a longtime executive at the intersection of journalism, media, and technology. Most recently, she was the global chair of news at Twitter. In that role, she led the company's strategy for news and partnership with journalism organizations and the news publishing ecosystem. Prior to that, she served as senior VP and chief digital officer for NBC News. So you must have known Lester Holt. We can talk about that. Uh, I do. Where she has strategic strategic and operational oversight of the network's presence on the web, mobile devices, and social media. Prior to that, oh my gosh, there's so many different outlets. We did this. We were together right in Chicago. There's Discovery, New York Times, CNN. Um, oh, who am I missing? NPR. NPR, <laughs> yes. And more, right? And more. Well, no, that's about and it for more. media. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So uh, all kinds of accolades, uh, multiple honors, three Peabody Awards, four Alfred I. DuPont Columbia University Awards, dozens of Emmys. My goodness. So Vivian, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to start by just giving us a little bit of oversight into MediaCo, which I mentioned uh, in in your title? Uh, Let people know what that's all about. Yeah. So MediaCo is um, is part of uh, Weber Shanwick, and it's really our name. Um, we don't always use it sort of out in the public, but it's the name that we use around helping um, our clients, brands become publishers in their own right. Um, it, it's it's interesting for me because my whole career has been on the publishing side, you know, creating quality content, distributing it, making sure that people can see it, know how to share it. And now I'm doing the same thing um, with brands, helping them tell their story directly to consumers um, uh, wherever those uh, consumers happen to be consuming media, which is almost always on their mobile device. So we work with clients. We help them um, in everything from understanding how to structure or restructure their organization, how to create those stories, how to set themselves up for success, how to know where to distribute, how to communicate, what kind of visuals, how to distribute, how to measure, how to know that the content is is having its desired effect, and then how to you know optimize, as they say, to use a little bit of jargon, or or what that really means is just make sure that you're constantly tweaking what you're doing to making sure that it's doing the best that it can be, and it's you know serving the audience in the way that you want to serve them. That's amazing, amazing stuff. And Christy, I know that this is one of your passions, right? MediaCo and all the things that Vivian just described. It is. I started, I was a journalism major. And so I started my career as a newspaper reporter. So I've always had a special affinity for um, 
the media and, you know, compelling content and the world is so different now. And, you know, newspapers, the first newspaper I ever worked for my whole career was an afternoon newspaper. It's long dead. So um, I've been really, really interested in learning more from Vivian and also um, about MediaCo as how we are able to bring that to our clients and everybody listening to this may or may not know, but um, Revive Health um, earlier this year became a part of Weber Shanwick. And so um, what that has opened the door for us um, and for our clients is access to people like Vivian and to amazing points of view and insight onto you know, the modern landscape in terms of how people get information and consume information and share information and engage with information. So I think that, you know, everything changes so quickly. Um, and I'm, I'm also concerned about the, the lack of great, um, you know, where do people get their, you know, reliable and trusted information? Because you can watch even the presidential debate last night and see that there's a lot of misinformation out there. So that's my passion. That's where I'm coming from. Super excited to um, continue to just be able to to bring all this information um, to people as we're trying to, you know, work, feel our way through um, the constantly changing media landscape. Yeah, it is. It is changing so fast. It's hard to keep up. Uh, we we got to know Vivian. We got to know you because you joined us in Chicago a couple of weeks ago for the Shushman Conference, which this audience knows well. Uh, typically, the folks listening to this podcast come from the health system world. Uh, and so Shushman is kind of the crown jewel of conferences. And we were so fortunate to have you there. We had a really nice dinner. Uh, we invited about 15 guests. So it was a nice, intimate. Uh, well, it wasn't an intimate setting. It was an incredible setting on Cindy's rooftop, which is just, if you've never been to Chicago or you've never been to that venue, Holy buckets, it's amazing. What an incredible uh, view. Really, yeah, right? Incredible view. We had this 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 little room. Um, it wasn't that little, but compared to the size of the venue, it was perfect for us. Had a fireplace in it. Uh, and so we got to hear Vivian talk about a lot of this stuff, Christy. Uh, and I know, Christy, you were going to be there. So uh, you're going to hear some of this for the, for the first time. But yeah. Uh, the, the experience overall, and, and I know, Vivian, you didn't get a chance to actually attend the conference, correct? I did not, unfortunately. Yeah, so it was, there was so much good stuff. And, you know, a lot of people talking about these things, they'll have to say, not really to the degree that, that you touched on. Uh, you know, one of the highlights for me was actually listening to the chief strategy officer from Spectrum Health, Roger Jansen, who talked about how they're moving in in different ways in terms of serving their communities, operations that goes to branding. But it was very, um, it, it's just a completely different kind of uh, discussion than the one we had that night uh, at our at our cool dinner. So you had given a presentation called Telling Stories Across Platforms. And uh, I think there were some great conversations that occurred afterwards. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about, first of all, uh, you know, you spent some time talking about the, sh the shifting of power in terms of content, and it's really intriguing, right? I think a lot of people understand the idea that mobile is taking over, uh, but I don't think a lot of people think about it in the terms that you put it uh, with this shift from publishers to platforms. You want to talk a little bit about that? 
Sure. Well, you know, if um, for most of our 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 lives, or depending what what age you are, uh, you would if you would you know you would read articles in the newspaper or you know watch. Um, programs or see content, as we call it today, on television or listen to it on, on the radio. And then, of course, we come to the digital age and that moved over to websites or podcasts and, and what have you. But it was still sort of a similar experience. You're either reading on a newspaper or you're reading on a, on a, on a, on a big screen. And so I, I would, you know, I, I was submitting that, the, that, that that jump from legacy platforms, print, radio, TV, to websites was really, yes, it was dramatic, no doubt, but not quite as dramatic because for publishers, they were able to sort of port that experience over to websites. Now, the advent of mobile, which has been so dramatic, so profound in terms of the number of people, particularly in the United States, that are on, um, that have smartphones, the experience that we're all walking around with these supercomputers and these cameras in our pocket all the time has really sort of uh, given rise to new powerful media providers, uh, by which I mean uh, Facebook, Google, Twitter, Snapchat, and on and on and on. Because those um, providers, that's a much better experience. They have really optimized, again, jargon alert, um, those experiences for smartphones and mobile devices. So what's happened now is even though, yes, we still might read a story from the New York Times or watch a CNN video or what have you, more and more we're experiencing that in a feed, in a Facebook feed, in a Twitter feed, perhaps on Snapchat. And that's a very different experience. If you're seeing New York Times or CNN or what have you content, it's still that same quality content, but no longer do they control the experience. You're now seeing those stories in a feed that might be preceded by you know, your nephew's baby picture um, you know, and followed by some kind of, you know, meme or, you know, who knows what. So it's a very different experience and, and it's disintermediated, another piece of jargon, the relationship between those publishers and the audience. So this has profound, profound effect, which we can talk more about. So Vivian, take I'm, a breath there. I, yeah. I would be curious to know, um, you know, in terms of, you know, how we work with organizations and advise them in this, in this brave new world. Are there, um, are there examples out there of organizations that are, that are kind of taking to these new platforms, um, and doing a really great job, um, and kind of shining examples that we should all be looking at in terms of the ones that the the folks that have kind of figured it out and are doing it really well? Yeah. Well, if you look at Publishers uh, specifically, there are certainly publishers. A lot of publishers have figured this out. In fact, some publishers, um, you know, have really sort of moved their whole game, like BuzzFeed, for example, over to publishing directly to, you know, the fa- Facebook and Twitter, etc. They they still have a website, but they don't care if you come back to their website. They just want you to see their content wherever you happen to be. There are some. Um, media companies, uh, uh, one called um, Now This, used to be called Now This News, video news provider, they don't even have a website at all. They only exist on platforms. So, which is smart because, what, I mean, what is the purpose? The purpose is to have your content seen. Um, in the case of publishers, they, of course, need to sell ads. But if you are a brand or you are an institution or an organization that is trying to communicate a message, I, I still find, I mean, there's there's no reason, you really should question 
Why is it necessary for someone to come to your website? Yes, you can always get more information there, but the point is for that message to be seen. And it may be that the best experience is to just make sure that you provide the best possible experience on those platforms. And then people will link to you once you've got them hooked. And so I see more and more brands that are just creating experiences that um, live and breathe and provide value or entertain or information or what have you right on the platforms where most people live, particularly, you know, younger generations. Well, at the at the conference, you made a, a really good, um, you know, we talk about we talk about digital first all the time. We talk about mobile first with our clients. But I think you you made a great point about what mobile first really means, right? So the idea that like the Facebook app in your phone is is the Facebook experience shrunk down exactly. and made accessible through mobile, but not really mobile first. You gave the example, I think the perfect example of mobile first. Do you remember what it was? The one, uh, the well, there's a few. I I, I think I I maybe mentioned Snapchat or I might have mentioned yes. Uber. Yeah, both of those I think are examples. So Snapchat, you're right. So Facebook, well, you're right, or I was right, and you're right in referencing it, um, <laughs> which is Facebook. You know, the Facebook feed. You know, yeah, they've made it so that it's a nice experience on your mobile phone, but it's not what you know what we would call a mobile native experience. It works on mobile, but it's not sort of born of mobile. Whereas Snapchat, Snapchat is created from a mobile mindset. So it begins with the camera. You know, if you, if you use Snapchat, when you open it up, the first thing you see is the camera. And it is sort of like famously unintuitive, almost obnoxiously unintuitive, because I think they're trying to make sure like the olds don't spend too much time on Snapchat. <laughs> but um, so they make it hard to figure out just that. So, you know, it's easier, easier for kids, I guess although I have mastered it and I'm not a kid. Um, but it is it really takes advantage of everything that you could only do on a mobile device. You couldn't do on a, on, on a laptop or a desktop, which is to take a picture, put a lens on it so you can add, you know, the, the, you know, the dog ears or the, or the, you know, pizza face or all those kind of um, lenses that you have. But there's other examples too in utility. Look at Uber. Uber, again, is also a, a mm-hmm. mobile native experience. You couldn't, you, yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose you can't. I've never actually tried to use Uber on a laptop. I'm sure you can. It wouldn't even occur to me because it's all about, you know, it's got your geolocation. You can see it coming. You can, you know, call the Uber. You can pay for the Uber all on your mobile device. It is truly a, a mobile native experience. So, I mean, that's two examples. There's many, many, many more. But that is, those are the richest. I mean, that's the, the direction the world is going. Well, I loved I loved how you put it there that you it wouldn't even occur to you to use Uber on your computer or Snapchat on your computer. Like it just it doesn't even dawn on you to think that no. way. That to me is a great a great way to categorize it. Another example is um, I know you know it's it's a game, but um, Pokemon Go, which was super hot about you know a month or ago or six weeks ago, um, is if you know anybody out that's listening, if you haven't tried Pokemon Go, you know maybe you think it's silly and it's not for you. It's worth trying out, even if you're not into Pokemon and never played Pokemon cards, which I never did. But because to really sort of understand the experience of seeing, um, seeing in this case, you know, these characters superimposed over, you're looking at your phone and you're seeing where you are and you're looking at your Google map and, and you can, you know, use your camera, but you see these Pokemon superimposed over where you are in the real world. And it's so interesting because while this is just a game, I mean, one can, the mind reels with all the opportunities of the ways you can think about 
the utility of using your camera with information overlay on your location. And um, it's extraordinary what, the, you know, the kinds of ideas that that conjures. It really, the Pokemon Go thing, Vivian, I, um, I have a 15-year-old son, and so I never was into Pokemon, but he certainly was from the time as far back as I can remember. So, of course, he turned me on to Pokemon Go, and he's like, come on, Mom, let's, let's go over to the park because everyone's over there and there's hundreds of people. And so I was like, what are you talking about? So, of course, I download the app um, on my phone, and we go over there. And the thing that really was so wild to me is that here was this virtual world and all of that overlay and all of that GPS and all of that information like you're talking about, like right there, you know, personalized for me, but also for the hundreds literally of other people that are wandering around. In this case, it was Centennial Park here in Nashville. And not only that, people were actually, it's people that you would normally see out, you know, at the park. And it's, um, then people were interacting with each other and, you know, saying, oh, go over there. There's a, there's, you know, whatever Pokemon, um, figure is, you know, over by the, over by the lake or whatever. And it was just fascinating to me. And then I got hooked and I started, you know, trying to like take more, you know, go out. I was like, okay, I'm going to go out and walk the dog with my Pokemon Go. Um, <laughs> it's addictive, it, isn't it? Yeah. And then I started playing it in the office and everybody in the office was talking about it. And then, you know, you started seeing all these other things coming out about how it was going to impact, you know, it was going to be like the next Fitbit for healthcare. And, you know, it's all of our, our clients at Revive Health are all in the healthcare space. And so it was really fascinating to kind of watch that unfold um, and to see how, you know, a, basically a, a video game and an app all came together and got people out moving and covering more miles, you know, on their feet than any other um, health device had been able to do. You know, there's a, there's a really wonderful book that uh, it's, it's, you know, it's more than 10 years old now, but it is one of the most, I think, seminal, important business books of all time, I might say, um, when it comes to dealing with, you know, thinking about innovation and change. And that is The Innovator's Dilemma by Clay Christensen, which mm-hmm. is really extraordinary and probably you've read it, but it's worth reading and rereading. And one of the most important points that uh, Christensen makes is that, you know, every disruptive technology, almost every disruptive technology begins by feeling like a toy. He literally says, feels like a toy in the same way that Pokemon Go feels like a toy. It is a toy. It's a game. It serves no purpose other than it's a fun, addictive game. But, you know, this is where true innovation and experimentation happens. And the next thing you know, the principles that are represented in that game, you know, are enhanced and developed and used in, in unfathomable ways. Like you said, next, you know, in terms of fitness tracking and then in terms of who knows what. I mean, it really, there's so many different possibilities of where this could go. It's worth paying attention. Yeah, the, yeah, the other you, thing... You can think of... Oh, go ahead, Christy. Well, I was just going to say the other thing that I thought was so fascinating about Pokemon Go is, you know, when you're out there, you realize what they've done, which is they've tied all these different um, characters that you can go, you know, Pokemons that you can grab to historical markers. And you find right. yourself going to places in your own neighborhood or your own city or your own town that you wouldn't normally go and learning along the way. Exactly. Yeah, I think the next step is, so this is an idea that I'm going to put out there and somebody can take it and make billions of dollars off of it. 
Imagine combining that, you know, augmented reality with facial recognition and voluntary participation. So Vivian, Christy, and I could all participate in Connect Me is what we'll call it. And you go around with your phone and I don't know who Christy is, but I see her at a restaurant. I hold up my phone, augmented reality, facial recognition. Christy's profile comes up that she has filled herself. Like, oh, I love to talk about this. My favorite food is this or whatever. There's just so much that you could, you know, if you use your brain for like an hour, think of where this could go. And not, you know, to your point, Vivian, not toys, not games, but real life applications. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I was going to bring that up. So I'm glad you brought that up. The, the, the toy thing and Snapchat's the same, right? Right. To me, it just feels like a, almost like a video game itself. There's just so many different things to do. Uh, there are some publishers on there that have figured it out though. The one that I I'm hooked into is DJ Khaled. I think that's how you pronounce him. You might be familiar with him. And the only reason I know is because he was on the cover of business week because the story was Snapchat's the next big thing. And it showed like Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, all these things. But he's a, a brand, an individual that has leapt from YouTube to this channel and has just blown up. Yep. So as an individual, he's a publisher, right? That's right. And you and, you know, people just like same thing with Instagram, same thing with, with Vine, you know, uh, YouTube, you know, the the original almost feels like the old fashioned uh, platform. I mean, new, a new generations um, of stars are being are being made on these platforms. Um, I mean, it's amazing when you think about what each of these and in, in each in their own way, the kind of creativity they have allowed to to be spawned that, you know, people that might not ever have had a platform, you know, in order to get their own television show or get a book published, you know, now through their experimentation and expression, they can they can find an audience and they can find a niche. You know, there are many, many niche audiences, um, you know, brands and, and organizations can do the same thing, you know, re- reach a niche audience, find people, create a community and build from that community build upon that community from there on different platforms. You know, one of the things that you said that was so interesting and I, and I thought through it a lot because it, it, it didn't apply to me. I'm like, why does this apply to me? You, you talked about how, you know, folks are no longer going to websites to get content. They're getting it fed to them through Twitter, through Facebook, through um, alerts on their phone and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, I still go to New York Times and I still go to Star Tribune. And I think, tell me if you think this is a valid hypothesis. I think that's because I grew up in the old days and I, you know, before digital, before mobile for sure. So I know those media sources. I trust them as media sources. Um, you know, kids these days, millennials or whoever, grew up with a mobile phone in their hand. Right. And so for them, those those ultimate publishers are so far removed from their actual experience that for them, that is true. They, they're getting it all through their phone, through their alerts, through these platforms, um, and the publishers are meeting less and less. Is that a fair way to think about it? It's absolutely generational. There's no question about it. And, you know, the New York Times and the Star Tribunes of the world, of course, are publishing to those platforms. But the uh, the the level the degree of difficulty in terms of uh, you know penetrating to make sure that the reader on those platforms understands what your brand is what your brand stands for and to become loyal to that brand even if it's so much more difficult than when you have you know a newspaper land on your door or even a website so um, 
yes, I mean, this is the big challenge that's happening for publishers everywhere is they're being, again, disintermediated. The relationship between themselves and the reader is now, you know, through a third party, a Facebook, a Twitter, you know, what, what have you. And the ramifications for that are dire. And this is, uh, you know, very, very difficult. And this is, you know, part of sort of the, the, the business model crisis that's happening for publishers now. On the other hand, uh, these platforms are allowing them to reach, you know, so many more people than they ever could have before. I mean, Facebook is there. Facebook has one, now 1.7 billion monthly active users globally. I mean, that is a mind blowing number. So, you know, the potential for a publisher, obviously not going to reach all of those people, but the publisher to reach so many more, you know, than they might ever have with their legacy platform is great. So, you know, it's, it, it's a trade-off, but how do you get your brand recognized and how do you, how do you, um, you know, win loyalty and repeat visits? So it's always interesting. I, yeah. All of those things. It's always interesting in, um, in our world at Revive Health, where we're working with, um, you know, healthcare brands and, and mostly kind of, you know, hospitals and health systems, health tech and health services. So it's a lot of B2B and, you know, healthcare is already um, behind the curve on a lot of this stuff. Um, and even on, you know, sort of marketing in general, um, when you look at big, you know, traditional consumer brands. Um, and so I guess one thing I, I'd be curious to know from your perspective, Vivian, is for brands in healthcare that are possibly, you know, a little bit behind the curve, how should they be thinking about, you know, what's the best advice we can give them in terms of how to be thinking about getting into this space? And, you know, some of the things that when you and Chris were talking a minute ago, it made me think, you know, there, there should, there's, there's definitely um, a lot of entrepreneurialism and incubation going on of new and unique ideas, but it seems like healthcare, our healthcare clients and folks out there delivering healthcare should should really start um, putting to the, the pedal to the metal on this and figuring it out a lot faster than maybe they are today. Yeah. Well, I, th I think that's right. And, and, and to be sure, there's a big difference between B2B and B2C. Um, I mean, if you're B2B, in all likelihood, in all likelihood, and it depends, you probably don't necessarily need to be on Snapchat, for example. <laughs> if you're on B2C, you know, you maybe do. And, um, and you know, I would encourage, you know, everybody to sort of look at, there's plenty of, uh, of, of links we can, we can share somewhere with, you know, the statistics of the demographics on all those platforms. It's, it's, you, you'd be surprised, even on Snapchat, that, you know, while it still skews pretty young, it's pretty, it's, it's becoming more and more, um, distributed and 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 a place like Facebook. I mean, when you're that big, you're an everything platform. You're a B two B. You're a B two C. You're a niche. You're you're everything. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really deeply important for you know all organizations, healthcare organizations. You know, even where they're even where it is B two B, to really be on those platforms to think very strategically not just sort of scattershot about who they are trying to reach, what they're trying to get that person to do, you know, how, what device they expect that person to be on when they receive the message, um, you know, what, what, what time of day it is and what kind of action they want to take or, 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 and, and, you know, it requires, 
it, it's not just a matter of sort of splattering content all over social media. You've got to, it's got to be very targeted, very specific. And if you do that, and, and usually it involves sort of a paid boost to amplify the message, uh, social media can be the most, so much more effective. It is, I still find in many corners that, you know, people think that, you know, well, I've, I've got a website up and I'm putting all this great content. People are going to find it. So, um, you know, that's not always the case. Well, I feel like we could just keep talking on and on and on, but we have respect for everybody's time because I know we've got places to go after this. Um, I'm going to draw the podcast to a close, but we always like to get like one thing on the table that that is not business or healthcare related, Vivian. And so uh, we talk about anything under the sun, but we thought with you, given content, we would we would go around the table and ask folks what are they reading right now what are they whether it's good or bad what's on your your bedside do you still read at your bedside i guess that's a question um, <laughs> what books are you reading right now oh gosh i am well I, it because we're coming out of summer i've been on a reading binge so yes at the moment i'm reading ann patchett's new book the commonwealth i love ann patchett i've read everything she's in nashville i think actually she isn't is she? she is in nashville oh, she's from here I'm, I'm coming next August for the eclipse, so I want to go into her bookstore. Um, and I also read, so that's a wonderful book. And I also just read The Knicks, which is a new book that came out by Nathan Hill. This is all fiction. And I read, um, uh, oh my God, I'm losing my mind. What's the name of the comedian that's so popular? She just wrote a memoir. So funny. Oh, Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer. Her book was awesome. So those are the last three books I read. Nice. Christy, what about you? Um, well, I'm currently reading a book by Peter Block called The Answer to How is Yes. And it's all about um, how we're all doing more and more and more, but it's got less and less meaning. So it's about how to ask the right questions um, and do the things that really matter. Um, so that's been really interesting. And then one of my favorite recent reads is by one of my favorite comedians, also Tina Fey. Bossy Pants. It's not a it's not a new book, but it was the first time I had read it. And so um, that and then also another one that I've enjoyed lately is The Power of Habit. Nice. Yes. Wow, that's a lot of books. I struggle to read. Um, I do read by my bedside. That's where I read novels because it helps me fall asleep. I can't read business books because that just makes me stay awake with ideas and stuff like that. Um, I'm rereading the trilogy that started with the um oh gosh what was it called i can't it's like vampire apocalypse so the it was written by justin cronin who at the time was like a young writer it was his first thing uh the second book is what i'm on now the 12 i've already read the first book twice reading the second book twice so then i can read the new book and understand what the heck's going on i think the first one's called the passage was the first one um business book wise though i can't read business books anymore because i just can't finish them so i listen to them on tape and I'm listening to a book called Play Bigger, which is actually a recommendation by a client. Uh, and it's all about uh, building your own category. So it's it's kind of similar to Blue Ocean. If you're familiar with Blue Ocean strategy, where you try to find a place where nobody else is at and you create your own category. Uh, and it's really interesting. There's some of it that's I'm not quite following. Um, I don't know what you guys think of the idea that Uber's a new category. To me, it seems like they just dominated the taxi category, but the way they define it, that's it's a different category. It's transportation on demand, which I don't know. So sometimes they play loose and fast with the definition of category, but 
otherwise it's it's really interesting good good stuff by a couple guys out of silicon valley uh so i'm about a third of the way through that oh so there you go well vivian thank you so much for joining us again we really appreciate you taking the time uh really really appreciate that's a double really for coming out to (laughs) chicago and spending time with us i really Uh, enjoy i really really enjoyed it We this just makes me want to go to the debate. We can't do that. We're out of time. We yeah. can have so much fun with, with with saying superlatives over and over, but we just won't do that. Oh Not darn! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this Thanks, was a, Chris. a very 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 fabulous podcast. We'll just leave it at that. How about that? Super fabulous. Thank you. Super. Really enjoyed talking with you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we will be back next week with the Healthcare Marketing Underground podcast. Bye.